Good morning. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing upon this, the reading of your holy word, as we examine it this morning. May it light our thoughts and our ways. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from Isaiah 54, verses 2 through 5. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. great to be here. We feel like we have a real connection with this church and we, we're thankful for you and we're thankful for the partnership. Um, I appreciate in the prayer too that you prayed not just for us as missionaries but for our Congolese colleagues because it, it is a partnership between, I mean God is in control but it's between churches here in the U.S. that support us. We're, we're like the bridge between but then we have faithful passionate colleagues and in the Congo who are doing the work. Even today as we speak, they're just finishing up. Um, they're six hours ahead of us. Um, it's vacation Bible school, but not exactly like vacation Bible school we have, have here in the US. With 800 children, it's hard to bust them out of town and uh, take them on a, a day's retreat. So what the teachers do is they select certain ones out of each class. And they take about 60. And these 60 are um, real leaders in their classes. And they are the ones, uh, they're in the midst of doing leadership training. And they will become the teachers of tomorrow. Because all of our 50 teachers are between the ages of 14 and 24. So they will be the teachers of tomorrow. And I love seeing all the kids in, in your church. Um, it's great. Um, the last time we were here, I think it was just after the volcano, it was what, a year ago? Maybe a little more. It was just after the volcano erupted. And I think I talked about how we had started to see these children. Goma has thousands of street children, but the volcano made that even worse. So we started having these street children uh, come on Saturday mornings because that's the only day we had uh, room for them to come. Uh, Saturdays from six to noon. Um, and that was great because at least it gave us a chance to minister to their needs, um, physical, mental, spiritual. But um, these passionate Sunday school teachers that I mentioned, they came to me and they said, Mom, I'm, this just isn't enough. We really need to be able to minister to them uh, full time. But we didn't have anywhere to do it. And 
Out of the blue, I got an email from a man who I've never met, never heard of, and he said, if you guys had a dream, what would it be? And God is just so good. He tells us to go when we're where he wants us to be. I'm 70 years old and I'm getting a little tired, but I have these great young people that have passion and energy. And uh, he just tells us to, to be uh, where he calls us and he will do. And he's just proven that over and over again. So as we started thinking about this, I got a letter from a man and he said, if, if you had a dream, what would it be? And I talked with everybody and we decided that we wanted to to say that our dream would be to have a full-time ministry to street children. And he asked what that would entail, and, and I said we needed a building, a facility, because we have no room. And then he asked how much that would be, and he wrote a check for over $100,000. And we built a full-time uh, facility to have full-time ministry to these street, street children, which opened in November this past year. So it hasn't even quite been up in a year. But um, what, a, what a joy it is to see these kids. We take 30 children at a time. They come every day from 6 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon. And they get health care if they need it. Uh, they get a lot of love. They get food. Um, they shower, clean clothes. Um, they hear the word. And they also have those who don't know how to read, learn to read. Uh, they have one-on-one -on -one counseling and group counseling. Um, and it's just been such a blessing to see the change in the children's lives. They'll, when they first come, if you reach out to just pat them on the shoulder, they will flinch. They've lived through terrible times in the streets. Um, there are a lot of um, hazards. There's drugs and sex, traffic, sex trafficking and um, temptations to drink. And, and, and they've lived through a lot of that. And, um, even though they might flinch when they first come, but over time they change and they become uh, really open. They'll run across the courtyard and give us hugs uh, when they come in the gates in the morning. And it's just such a blessing to see the change in their lives. In fact, um, just a few months ago, just before we left to come back here, our pastor was preaching a sermon. <coughs> and. Uh, let me give the background first. In Goma, there's also uh, kidnappings, child kidnappings. Um, these uh, groups will kidnap the children from the street, and then they'll contact the parents and say, you have to pay a ransom. And it may not be that much for us, $500, $700, but very few parents in Goma can afford to pay that. And if they do not pay that, they will kill the children. And um, it's just... It's, it's an ongoing threat. Um, but the pastor preached a sermon about how if that ransom is paid, then the child is free to go home. And he talked about how Jesus had paid the ransom for all of us so that we can go home. And after that service, 13 of our 30 students uh, in the uh, street children program stood up and accepted Jesus. And they, they're in... Um, uh, baptism classes, they'll be baptized at Christmas. And I, I can't wait to see, to see that. Um, but it, it's just to see their lives change. Then the other goal, the main goal of the program is to 
have the children be returned home. We, we go out and we try to find their extended family members. They may not have living parents, but they have aunts or uncles or grandparents, and we try to find their parents, uh, family members, and talk about why the child left or why the, why the child was um, kicked out of the home or for any number of reasons, um, and try to mediate those differences and get children back. And today, we've had over 45 children returned home successfully. We follow them for three months to make sure things go well. We offer parenting classes, and some of the parents of these children have started coming to church. Um, it's, it's just a joy to be part of it. But these children go back out on the street at three o'clock in the afternoon. And they, they kind of hang together, so they strengthen each other and, and uh, in the threats and the um, temptations that are on the street, but still they go back out on the street. And the teachers came to me and they said, we just can't do this anymore. We really have to have a place for them to go at night, which we didn't have, but God, God's in control. Um, when we were here in the US, uh, we came home for Christmas to see our children. And we were, just before we headed back, we went to a church in Massachusetts. And we, I just mentioned the, the street children program, and, and one of the questions from the congregation was, well, what do they do at night? And I said, well, unfortunately, we don't have the facility. Uh, they go home at night. And the pastor, who was not even there, but listening on the radio because his wife was sick, he got in his car and drove to the church, and he came up at the end of the service, and he says, God compelled me to come and challenge you. In the next two weeks, I want to raise $15,000 to help them with an overnight facility so these children don't have to go back out on the street. And they raised $63,000. Um, so we, we have now have uh, an overnight facility that we opened in June. It just opened. So um, it's, there's not room for all of the 30 kids, but we have um, all the girls are allowed in the overnight center. Any child that's six or younger comes automatically. Any child that's in for medical care or uh, we have a, a boy with um, a broken leg, they are allowed in the program. And then the other children, if they decide that they want to go home, we'll bring them into the full-time program for two weeks before they go home so that we can have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time and it's a transition period. Uh, between leaving, and um, it's, it's just amazing. God keeps opening doors. We've never asked for any of that, but he, he provides before we even, even realize that we have a need, and I praise him, and we thank you for your partnership and, and the work that, that God's doing. Uh, we're just alone for the ride, and uh, just, uh, that's that's the end of it about the EVA program. I'm going to let Bill come up and share a little bit more. Thank you, Ann. I am, I am such a lucky guy. Um, I would give up my New Hampshire medical license 10 times before I gave up my marriage license. <laughs> and I'm from this part of the country, but she's not. Like your pastor, who's from the South. I don't know about you, but when I went to school around here, I had a bias about things in the South. That is radically, radically changed. You are blessed to have a great pastor. And I am doubly blessed to have a wonderful wife. And it's, it's, and it's, 
It's nice to be back here today. My name is Bill Clemmer. My wife is Anne, as you know. Um, yeah, we just, one of us just turned 70 and the other one is right behind. And uh, though uh, we're at 40 years of marriage, we have just completed 32 years of uh, service uh, with the American Baptist churches. And um, the nice thing about American Baptist churches is they don't kick you out when you're 65. And as a matter of fact, we're so convicted that this is where the Lord wants us to be that we've signed up for another five years. We do get to come home. We do arrange to come home during the summer. We've got four children and grandkids that we don't see that often, but we will see them during this trip. I actually just arrived from the Congo two weeks ago. My wife preceded me. We own a home in Orono, Maine, which is closed up during the winter. And my wife went through six or seven months of mail, and she got rid of all the little furry animals. I spent the winter in her home, and I came home to a clean house, and she drove me this morning, and I feel like I spent the night at the Holiday Inn Express. I am in great shape, and so blessed to be here. Joseph Conrad wrote a story about the Congo back in the 1960s and 70s, about the Belgian Congo. And he called it the heart of darkness. And I always thought that, you know, he talked about the Belgian Congo, about all of the horrific slavery and maiming and loss of hands and brutality, and he called it the heart of darkness. And I always thought, when I read that book, that the heart of darkness was, Congo was in the middle of Africa, and it's a dark continent, according to his book. But I think the heart of darkness reflects the true heart. You know, the wonderful thing about serving in a country that's dark is the light shines so brightly. I cannot say that about our country. So Anne talked a little bit about some of the situations in the Congo, and I want to just speak quickly about how God has given all of us. And I, I love what um, Jeff said about, Jeff, maybe not guy who's here, how we have partners, because we truly do partner with that church. As Anne talked about the Sunday School and the night program, and you guys have been such a blessing to us. And the wonderful thing about serving in a place like the Congo is I just feel like God has given us the gifts and the capacity and the compassion to bring love. So Ann talked about the street children. What Ann did mention is you know, Gomez City. It's on the Congo-Rwanda border. It's, about, it's a city of about 500,000 people. And there were thousands, thousands of street children, children between the ages of 5 and 18 that live on the street. And some, yes, some have left their home, but you know, most of them have lost their parents through HIV AIDS or through the multiple militias in the villages that mainly kill parents. Some, um, uh, maybe their dad died and their mother couldn't support six or seven children. You can't feed them and they send them up for whatever reason. There are, there are thousands of children sleeping on the sidewalks. And, and I'm, um, you know, my wife is has been busy. I, I, um, uh, we work in a place called um, Hill Africa, which actually started out as a 200-bed training hospital. I do practice medicine there. I train doctors and med students. But next to the hospital campus is a social ministries campus. And we've got a large chapel. It started off as a small chapel, and now it's a, it's a huge church. And we've got a Sunday school and a day school and a night program and a widow's program and a ghost program. And so when, um, when, when Ann's Sunday school team wanted to start up a ministry for street children, I, I, I just, um, these are children with, with huge needs. And now that they have a place to go during the day, I mean, these children start to line up at six o'clock in the morning at our hospital gates. And that's when the guards let them in. And they basically come in and they get clothed. 
women in the church wash their clothes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. They get fed every day. They get health care. They get medical care. And it's been such a lesson to be able to serve them. Our church also has many widows. Uh, Congo is a place of a medical doctor. I can tell you that the average age is about 45 to 50, which means I'd be in heaven by now. But most of those are men who die from diseases and AIDS. And, all. and so there are, our, our church has so many widows. And the widows in our church end up taking in children of their own, some off the streets, some of their, their sons and, and daughters. And it's, and it's common to have these dear women with eight or nine children, as other times, two and three. And the challenge is feeding them. Ann mentioned Sunday school. Um, when we first moved, I'm a medical doctor, so I so during our 32 years of service, I typically get transferred. We start off in Haiti because they needed somebody to do anesthesia, and then I get transferred to Zaire to teach medical residence, and then Congo, Burundi, Yemen, Somalia, Venezuela. Just and Anne has always followed me. She's always, you know, I mean, we she homeschooled our children. And as we went from place to place to place, uh, and followed me. And until we got to Goma, where we are now, and we went to the church chapel, and we met the group of Sunday school children. Uh, we met the group of Sunday school teachers. They had about 200 teachers. And uh, I love 200 students. I should have her up here next to me. I still love you up there. Um, so they came up to Anne, these teachers, and said, uh, could you help us? We have been praying for a tent. I love the verse uh, that was read this morning about lengthen the cords of our tent. And they came up to Mama Ann and said, could you help us? We've been praying for a tent because the 200 Sunday school children be in the dirt and gravel parking lot with lava and you know, rain or shine. And they've been praying for a tent. And through the gifts of our churches, in New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine. Uh, during the second year, we were able to build a Sunday school facility that now has over 800 children, two floors. And, and, and these, these children come from, you know, some of them walk. I mean, they leave their homes at 6 in the morning to come to the 8 a.m. service. Uh, children as young as 3 and 4 and 5 girls, ages 10 and 12, carrying their, their you know, baby brother or the baby sister on their back. And they come with such, many of these children don't have a chance to go to school because school is something you have to pay for and all these families can't afford. And the chance to sit in a classroom and be taught and respected. And then at the end of church, the ladies in our church serve all these 800 kids a warm glass of milk and bread. And they laugh they, for like 30 minutes to get the bread and the milk. And on Christmas, we had over 1,500 children because the church gave in money to buy shoes. 1,500 children came. They heard that they were giving out shoes with little sandals. And Easter, honey, we had, six, you had 1,600 children come to church because they were giving out a boiled egg for each child, not to paint, not to decorate, not and You know, a lot of these kids have never had eggs. And so it's just these little things turn into big things. And, and what an occasion to tell these dear children who live a difficult life how much Jesus loves them. Hug them and let them know. And it's a blessing to be a light in darkness. Anne talked about these teachers, 50 Sunday school teachers, ages. I could talk about healthcare, but I do that all the time. I really want to talk about the work that my wife is doing. But so um, these young teachers, um, some uh, you've helped get through high school with uh, paying their school fees. 
but they have no jobs. And they normally come on Sunday. This huge Sunday school facility is busy seven days a week because there's a need. And these kids that come to Sunday school, they come during the week for math and literacy and Bible and dance and art. And so these Sunday school teachers volunteer and they give their hearts and their lives. Um, and they're self-sacrificing. We also live in a place, we live in a city, that's true, there's, there's great danger. There's danger within, within the city, there's danger outside of the city. There's a curfew in our, in our, in our town uh, because of the thieving and the bannering and the you know, various militia groups around. Um, one of our, one of his Sunday school teachers, Grass, was picked up. He was, uh, he was, these Sunday school, these teachers walked miles to get to the school. And he had the misfortune of still being on the road, running to get home when it was 8 p.m. And he was picked up by the police and put in jail. That's what happens when you break cur curfew. And a jail, and a jail area with rats and poison and men with AIDS and TB. And his mother was frantic because Grass didn't make it home that night. And she was able to call in and, you know, he said, yes, Grass left at 6. And the next morning they found out that he was in, in jail. The nice thing about jails in the Congo is you've got if you have money, you can get them out. And then went and threw gifts that they've given and paid $50. And that's what it, what it took. And got grass out. But the challenges that people go through to bring the light. Uh, one of Ann's, another teacher, there's this group called the Band of Thieves, 40 Thieves. There's a group. There are many gangs within the city. And, uh, and it's very common for them to break into homes in isolated neighborhoods. One of Ann's teachers, are, and they go in and they basically, there's 40 or 50 people, thieves, and they basically surround the home so nobody can get in and they go in. And they take everything. They even take the clothes of the inhabitants. And I think one of your dear teachers, she even lost her finger um, in, a, in a place, a land of great darkness, but a land of great hope. And of course, uh, Gom is, uh, we're at 5,000 feet. Uh, on a lake called Lake, lake, lake uh, Kivu. And our whole city is surrounded by hills. Uh, during the, during the uh, Rwandan genocide, the perpetrators of the genocide, which two million people were killed in Rwanda, they crossed the border into Congo and, and they live in the hills around Goma. There's about 200 um, militia groups and they terrorize the villages and rape and pillaging, and that's where a lot of our children come for. Several years ago, the Bush administration uh, and others sent a, a, a group of UN peacekeepers, and the UN had 15,000 soldiers stationed in our city, and for years we're trying to dislodge the rebels. Ann and I live in a little apartment built from volcanic rock right on Lake Keeble, and uh, we would go out on our porch during the night, and we would hear the boom, boom, boom as the UN was trying to displace the militia. Well, you can't, that's really not an effective. You, you can't log bombs, I'm, I'm a doctor, I'm not, I'm, it just, it, it didn't work. And now the 15,000 peacekeepers are leaving Congo, about 1,000 a week. Ebola, volcanoes, earth, 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 earthquakes are another issue that we've lived with. So we, where does our comfort come from? Where does our our calling and our sense that this is where God wants us to be. And Chris, I, I love the verse that you preached on. You shared from, uh, from Psalm 22. 
that God hears our sorrow and brings us to him. But I love the verse that follows it, and that's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There is nothing that we have wanted for or needed that, had, that the Lord has not given us in the past 32 years. Medical supplies, school supplies, compassion, love. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures by still waters. You know, one thing I've noticed, I sleep, I mean, we live in a town, it's dangerous, we've got, you know, we live in a compound that's owned by the hospital, and there are other doctors and nurses, and yeah, um, we actually, uh, we used to have this little red canoe next to our porch, because we knew that if there was danger, we could get in our boat and cross the border and go into Rwanda, but then came the volcano, when um, the, we live also right next to a chain of volcanoes, so there was an active volcano in 2022 that lobbed uh, 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 lava rocks and flames. And the lake that we live on has one of the world's highest concentration of methane. So as we were looking at these flares of lava going into the lake, and then looked at my canoe and said, Bill, I don't think that your plan A is any better. We stay. I'm getting lost in track. But I sleep. We sleep so well beside still waters. Knowing that we are where the Lord wants us, which I firmly believe God's will, the center of God's will is the safest place for us to be. I have to be honest. When I come home to Maine and New Hampshire, we just I just got home a couple weeks ago. I don't I don't sleep really well in this country. I don't know where the line is between evil and good. I know where I stand in the Congo. I know that I'm where the Lord wants us. I know where the evil is, the thieves and the militia and the rapists, and I know where the where the goodness is. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his sake. I've got a picture, Chris, of this church, May, that you said, May 2021. It was during the height of COVID when you were doing social distancing. And unlike many of our churches, this church would pull it. But you had clusters. Chris sent me this picture, May of 2021, there was a group praying in this corner, a group praying in that corner, a group like there. And Chris said, Bill and Ann, we wanted you to know that our congregation this morning was praying for you and the The Lord leads us in paths of righteousness. We are not alone where we serve. Chris, that picture gave us more encouragement. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me and they rod and they staff, they comfort me. I can tell stories about being in Congo and I was separated for 11 months when I got caught behind rebel lines and was taken in. Somalia, I was nearly kidnapped. Yemen, where I go every few months to work in the camps. I escaped a roadblock. I was going to the airport and there was a roadblock. And I, the Lord has been, it's not that we tempt faith, but Finally, after 32 years, after raising children in the Congo, love them, malaria, and the birth, God, there's no greater protector and no greater presence. I have finally, in my almost 70, put away my fears. I want to be doing the work that Lord has given me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overfloweth. 
My enemies in the Congo are not the people. The people are why we are there. We have such a love for the people. My enemies are things like cholera, malaria, Ebola, malnutrition, poverty. But God has, our cup has overflowed. A check for $63,000, a man that we don't know, gave funding, all of my medical supplies training. We have been supported, overly supported, Chris, for 32 years in part to the churches. We, um, our cup, Overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. It is our testimony that God has been so good. You know, I, there was a time in my early life, I, you know, I just got my medical license. I was working, uh, we were working in Lancaster, New Hampshire, and just bought a home, and uh, and was pregnant with our third child, and I had we had promised God that we would be missionaries. Ann and I met in Africa as Peace Corps volunteers uh, in our early 20s, and we're not early 20. And that's when we just we had a distinct calling to come back to Africa to be missionaries. The reason why I came back to the United States to get married, went to medical school, and then I settled in New Hampshire and practiced medicine, and I liked it for a little while. And uh, the Lord really convicted us in my third year of practice. Said, Bill, you made a promise to me when you were in your 20s. And the Lord is so good. He's taken care of our anxieties and our fears. He's filled our need. Our cup has overflowed. And we wanted to be just, I don't know, Chris, we just wanted to give God the glory and the honor and the praise for his goodness forever and ever. Until we're with him. Amen. Thank you.